to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. It's so easy for us to get into these legalistic mindsets and to pass judgment and to be critical of certain other believers. This happens all the time, and we have to resist this. We have to guard our own hearts because a little leaven leavens the whole lump, and if we let it into just a few hearts, it starts to permeate the whole amount. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Galatians. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, in a message titled, Standing Firm in Freedom. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Paul, really, in this one little verse here, he describes the difference between those who are trusting solely in Christ for salvation versus those who are trying to add the component of the law. He's making a contrast. So look what he says in verse 5. He says, for we through the Spirit. So this is the first key, the Spirit. You see, we through the Spirit. The law leads us to Christ for justification And when we come to faith in Christ and are justified, we're declared righteous, we become Christians, we become children of God. Like I said, at that point, we don't go back under the law to try to move forward. No, the Spirit takes over. So it's like the law delivers us to Jesus, and Jesus, in a sense, delivers us over to the Spirit. And it's the Spirit that does that work in us. It's the Spirit that does that that transformational thing in us. It's the spirit that, that causes us to progress into the likeness of Christ. You see, we're, we're never, as believers, we never go back under that, that performance-based acceptance. And we have to know that because we gravitate toward that. We, we drift toward that. Unintentionally, even, at times. We're just so... This is so ingrained in our nature that even as believers, we we are oftentimes reverting back to that mentality. And we're either, that, that results in one of two things. We're either proud of our accomplishments or we're in despair at our failures. We're either thinking that we're God's gift to everybody in the church or we're thinking we're the most miserable losers of all time, and it's highly doubtful that we're ever really going to, in the end, be saved. Those are kind of the two places that you go under the law. You either go into a prideful state, or you go into a state of despair. And so it's not through the addition of the law, it's through the Spirit. So we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. So... Through the Spirit, we eagerly wait. We eagerly wait. Now, the Judaizers, the false teachers, you know what they're saying to the Galatians? They're saying, no, you can't wait. And the idea behind wait is included in that is resting. You can't rest for a minute. You've got to keep working. You've got to keep going. You've got all of these laws now that you've got to bring yourself into subjection to. 
So you're going to strive and you're going to keep working hard and you're going to live with this constant anxiety as to whether you're really performing well enough. But the gospel says, no, we wait. We eagerly wait. So this is what we're doing through the spirit. We're trusting that spirit's work in our life and we're resting, waiting for the completion of what God has started in our lives. You see, and this is part of the freedom that Paul's talking about. It's the freedom to just rest in the Lord, to just know that, you know, that it's already been taken care of. Jesus took care of it. I was talking to a friend yesterday who was telling me about uh, having had the privilege of leading his mother to Christ in her older age. And, um, but he said that she would occasionally come back to him and she would ask him, she would say, now, are you sure that this is all that I need to do? It just seems so simple. And you know, this is oftentimes what people say in response to the gospel. Have you ever heard people, I, I've actually had conversations like this where people will tell you like, man, it's so hard to be a Christian. It's so hard to please God. And you know, why even bother trying? And they'll go on and on about how hard it is. And then you say, well, look, no, listen, here's the gospel. And you tell them the gospel, they go, oh, that's way too easy. <laughs> so it's like, no, it can't be that. You know, on the one hand, they think it's too hard and that's because they have the wrong idea. But then when you explain to them what the gospel is, they say, oh, that's too easy. Well, it is that simple. Jesus did it. He's the one who, who paid it. We, we are resting in what Jesus did. We're resting in that finished work of Christ. And he says that we are eagerly waiting for the hope of righteousness. Now, what does that mean? The hope of righteousness. Well, righteousness is a reference to the, the completion of the work that God has started in us. So righteousness could also be understood as, if we want to look at it as heaven, we want to look at it as glorification. It's basically pointing to the time when we're all delivered once and forever from the presence of sin and the power of sin and all that. And, and we're, we're with the Lord and it, it's all done. It's pointing to that. So we eagerly wait he says, for the hope of righteousness. Now, the misunderstanding sometimes can come about because of the word hope. Because the way we understand hope today is not the way hope has always been understood. And the way we understand hope today is the exact opposite of what the Greek word means. So we understand hope as something we believe or long for or desire that there is an element of uncertainty too, right? That's how we understand hope. When we talk about the future, we say, well, I hope this is going to happen. But even by saying that in the way we understand the word hope, we acknowledge that there is an element of uncertainty to it. The crazy thing is that the Greek word that's used here means the exact opposite of that. So really what we should understand this verse to say is that we through the spirit eagerly wait for the certainty of righteousness. That's, this is not something that, well, you know, I, I hope it's going to happen. No, this is something that is absolutely certain. It is going to take place. 
Because salvation, although there's three tenses to it, it's one thing. And if, and if you have one of the tenses, if you have the past tense saved, then you're guaranteed that you have the, the future tense as well. Now, in the New Testament, the salvation is presented with these three tenses. Sometimes the, the scripture says that you are saved. And right when you hear saved, okay, that's something that's already done. It's, it's a past event. But then there are a few passages where it actually talks about that we're being saved presently. And then there are passages that talk about we will be saved in the future. Now, some people who are not correctly dividing God's word, they have mistakenly thought that, well, salvation is a process. See, because it says right here that we're being saved. So, so we're being saved, meaning we're, we're in a process of being saved right now. So we're, we're not already saved. And then, because there's the future tense, that, well, you know, we're going to be saved in the future, but we're not saved now. No, the references to the present tense and the future tense do not nullify the past tense. When the Bible says that we are saved, it includes all three. It includes the past, the present, and the future. We're saved from the guilt of sin. We're saved or being saved from the power of sin, and we will be saved in the future from the presence of sin. But if you're saved, all three are included. And Paul wants us to know that. And so the hope of righteousness is the hope of that ultimate destination that we're going to. We're going to that place where we are not only declared to be righteous, but we are actually righteous because the, the presence of sin is no longer a part of our being. So Paul says that all of this is ours by faith. So once again, he comes back to the faith versus the works. This is ours by faith. This isn't ours by working. And if you think about it, you cannot have any certainty of righteousness if it's based on works, right? Because you can never be sure that your works are sufficient. And you can never have a guarantee that you will maintain, even if you thought right now, my works are sufficient, right this moment. Well, then if you get to a moment where you think my works are sufficient, you should also pray, Lord, let me die right now. Because this is the only... <laughs> you know, because right at this moment, I've, I've, I've got the guarantee. But you know what? An hour from now, I don't have that guarantee. I don't know what's going to happen an hour from now. So you see, there's never assurance, absolute assurance or absolute certainty as long as salvation is based upon your work. But if salvation is based upon your faith in Jesus, who did the work then that's where the certainty comes in. That's what Paul is saying. That, that's, who, that's who we are. He's speaking to them, hopefully. You know, no, we are this. We're, we're not that. But then he says this in verse six, the final thing. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Now, Paul was... Paul was a radical, but you know, Paul was, you know, Paul was the guy that was going to say things that 
Even the other apostles would sometimes cringe at what Paul would say. They'd be like, oh, did he have to say that? Because remember now, the other apostles, they're all Jewish. All the apostles are Jewish, right? But the distinction between Paul and the others is, is he's, the, he's like the, the Jewish teacher. They're not. They're, they're like the, the subjects. They're the students. You know, they know, they know Judaism from having it imposed on them. Paul was the one who was imposing it. So he sees it in a way that they don't see it. So in places where they might see it as somewhat well, innocent, that's not really harmful. We can hang on to this. It's okay. Paul says, no, 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 no. That's not. Paul understands that, you know, with, with this whole idea of legalism, you can't give it an inch because if you give it an inch, it'll take a mile. Paul, Paul gets that. So he makes these radical statements. He says, circumcision avails nothing. Do you know what the Jews would have done? Well, this is the kind of thing where they would have picked up stones and tried to kill him if he was in their vicinity, having said something like this, because this was so radically offensive for him to say this. But that's what he says. He says, it's nothing. Circumcision is nothing. In other words, he's saying these things do not matter one iota. This is not what it's about. This is not what the gospel was intended to accomplish having Gentiles get circumcised. What the gospel is intended to accomplish is faith working itself out through love. That's what God's looking for. And so we in our own application of these things, we have to realize that the petty rules that some set up by which they judge others and justify themselves, these rules mean nothing. They mean something to them, obviously, but in the bigger picture, as far as God is concerned, they mean absolutely nothing. They are completely irrelevant and should be ignored just as Jesus ignored the tradition of the elders. That's the position that we are to take in regard to legalism. We're not, to, we're not to give it place. We're not to put up with it. We're not to tolerate it. We're not to allow it to infiltrate our ranks because again, as Paul understood, it will take everything over. So, so we have to keep fighting against it. We have to keep pushing back. And listen, we have to fight against it in our own lives because we all have that same tendency to go there. And not, not in regard to, you know, issues of salvation, but just more in regard to practices among believers. It's so easy for us to get into these legalistic mindsets and to pass judgment and to be critical uh, of, of certain other believers. This, this happens all the time. And, and we have to resist this. We have to... We have to um, guard our own hearts because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And if we let it into just a few hearts, it starts to permeate the whole, the whole amount. And so you, you have that today. You have entire congregations or sometimes even, even movements where they, they look with disdain upon other churches or other people in the body of Christ simply because they do things differently than we think they should be done. And this is a problem that we have to face and we have to root out from our own hearts that kind of legalism. And, you know, I can 
sense legalism a mile away. You know how? Because I used to be a legalist. <laughs> so I know what it looks like. I know exactly what it looks like. I know what it sounds like. I've been there. I've done that. I can, I can recognize it. And I think there's, you know, all of us to some degree at probably some time in our Christian's life, Christian lives, we go through these kinds of things. That's why the epistles are written. That's why the instruction is given. But you know, we have to grow beyond it. We have to grow out of it. But I have held positions in the past where according to my view of things, you know, it's just like God could not work in this kind of a situation. But you know what the Lord has done? He's, he's continued to show me, you know, Brian, I can do whatever I want and I'm not gonna consult you as to whether you think I should do it. I remember a couple of incidents. I, I, I have a really dear friend, a, a precious friend, a wonderful brother in Christ who's a pastor of a church and you know, we're, I, I just really love this guy. And um, so we had met each other and we were doing ministry together for some time before I ever knew anything about his background, anything about his story. So one day in the course of talking, we got onto the subject of our testimony, you know, how we came to Christ. And when he told me his, his story, I, I was thinking in my mind as he was telling me the story, man, you know, I wouldn't have allowed for your story to be like that before, you know? No, God, God couldn't do that. God couldn't save you that way. You know, as he's telling me a story about how the Lord met him, it was in a way that I didn't believe that God would meet people. No, he, he wouldn't meet a person like that. And whenever I heard about those kinds of things, I would immediately dismiss them as, well, that's, you know, just some crazy thing. That's certainly not God working. But now I've got the dilemma of having this person in front of me who is undoubtedly a Christian, who is undoubtedly a servant of God, who I have been laboring alongside of and seeing the love and the, the, the beauty of Christ in his life. And now when he's telling me his story, I'm like, wait a second. Wow. This, this didn't fit with my theological perspective. And that's, those are some of the ways that God has, has broken some of my uh, legalistic ideas down. Peter said that love covers a multitude of sins. And if love can cover a multitude of sins, it certainly ought to be able to cover uh, our preferences as well. And we ought to be able to look and realize that, you know, even though I don't fancy that or I don't really feel comfortable with that kind of thing. You know, that's just not where I'm at in, to, to recognize that, you know, God, God can work in the midst of these things. Because Paul said at the end of the day, what God is aiming for in his work in our lives is love, faith working through love. That's the real indicator. That's the thing that's going to as Jesus himself would say, all people are going to know you are my disciples by your love for one another, by your love for one another, love amongst the people of God. And so this is the thing that we are to focus on. Faith working through love. Circumcision, uncircumcision, these external things, these outward things, Paul says they're nothing. They're nothing. Love is the key. Love is the thing. That's what God is wanting to see from our lives. It's his love. And love is the greatest force, isn't it? Paul, remember in writing to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, the great faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. 
And, and it's love that's going to win the day. And it's love that's going to soften the heart. And it's love that's going to cause the, the person that normally wouldn't even think to move in the direction of the church. It's love that's going to bring them in. So for our own lives personally, and for our lives together collectively as a, a congregation of people, what we want is we want love to be the atmosphere that we live in. We want people to be able to, to sense that when they walk through the doors that there's something different here. There's something different than anything that's going on out there in the world. There's something different than, than is what is going on, unfortunately, in, in churches where there's, you know, they've lost sight of the end of the commandment being love from a pure heart, and they think the end of the commandment is to come up with more commandments. But that we would be a place where the presence of the Lord would manifest through that love. And as that is the case, as that is the aroma of our gatherings, that will be where people are impacted. And that, of course, will be God's desired goal for us because this is what it is. It's not circumcision. It's not uncircumcision. It's not laws, legalism, rules. It's faith working through love. And now let's join Pastor Brian and Cheryl in the studio as they share about this month's resource, So, Brian, I'm holding in my hands Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. This is a book you've been trying to get me to read, and I'm going to. Yes. But tell me why I should read it again. You've got to read this book. This book is tremendous. Rebecca is brilliant, and she kind of takes on all of the current questions and opposing views that come up against those who hold the Christian faith and the the title of the book. You know, she's confronting Christianity. People are saying, well, Christians believe this and Christians did that. And she's just taking 12 of the current hardest questions that Christians are facing. Questions like, doesn't religion cause violence? Or how can you take the Bible literally? Doesn't Christianity denigrate women? Isn't Christianity homophobic? And she does a superb job in addressing these questions. And I think anybody today who's seriously thinking about what's going on in the culture and engaged in the culture, out in the workplace or wherever, this is a book you want to read because this is going to tremendously help you to have a good response when people bring these questions up because many are confronting Christianity and this book will help you to know how to answer those who are confronting Christianity. Confronting Christianity, Rebecca McLaughlin. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. You can order the book Confronting Christianity by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, then click on the donate button. 
when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin to prepare you to answer some of culture's most difficult questions regarding Christianity. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Galatians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. Hi, this is Cheryl and Brian Broderson. And we wanted to tell you that we're going to Israel in October 2022. And we want you there with us. Yeah, the dates are October 23rd through November 4th. And this is going to be a tremendous trip. Cheryl, what's your favorite thing about Israel? I love the Galilee, but Brian... You and I both know there's so much because we love watching the Bible come alive, whether you're at Tel Aviv or you're at Jerusalem or Caesarea. Yep. Or Mount Mount Carmel. Carmel. Yes. We are so excited about this Israel trip because we absolutely love going to Israel. So we'd love to have you join us October 23rd through November 4th, 2022. And you can find more information at israel.cccm.com. We'd love to have you join us.